The Stratford Slice is produced using Anchor, Spotify's free podcasting platform, the easiest way to create, distribute, and monetize your show. Say it all with Anchor. This podcast is produced by Ran Entertainment, Southwestern Ontario's number one film, television, and digital media studio. Illuminating extraordinary stories since 1995. Visit us at com. The Stratford Slice is sponsored in part by Dancing Waters Boutique, treasures from Asia in the heart of downtown Stratford. Visit them at 11 York Street or dancingwatersboutique.com. And a special shout-out to Vista Radio and our friends at mystratfordnow.com for hosting the podcast, which is also available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your favourite podcast. And be sure to follow us on Instagram, at the Stratford Slice. Hello, it's Craig Thompson, and this is The Stratford Slice. Music, memories, and more with the founder of Stratford Summer Music. Well, the gentleman sitting across from me in the Stratford Slice podcast studio, I've known for almost 50 years, and uh, he's had a varied and incredible career spanning education, politics, and more recently in the last 35 years in the music industry. John Miller, it's great to have you as a guest. Thank you. And it's already you're bringing back memories. I'm thinking back 47 years when a young, sort of red-headed guy came in when I was the vice principal at Stratford Central and said, sir, I, I want to do things in the music industry and in broadcasting. Do you mind if I... I don't think you wanted to skip classes, but I think you probably... You wanted to go down to the radio you station. You wanted to go to CJCS. And and I, I'll take credit for saying, away you go, Craig Thompson, and... Look where you are today. It's wonderful. Well, the fact that I'm actually here sitting behind a microphone, uh, you were one of the instigators of that because, as I recall, the radio station was looking for somebody to replace the previous announcer on the high school news. And I went down and started doing every Tuesday night the uh, <laughs> high school news on the radio station, reporting on the sports and things like that. So. Well, I don't remember those details. I just remember you're coming in and saying, sir, do you mind if I leave a little early and go down to the station? And, and Anything but studies. That was what well, I wanted I don't, to do. No, I, don't th I wouldn't have said that either. You were a good student as well. And it was my father who had uh, uh, some influence on uh, bringing you to Stratford. So tell us about how you actually made the uh, decision to move here and where were you coming from? Well, I'd been teaching in Stony Creek. We're going back now to the 1970s. I'd been teaching at a school called Orchard Park Secondary School. Um, and in those days, one would get the Globe and Mail getting close to the hiring period for the school boards in the province, and there were a lot. And I remember putting the school uh, advertisements on on the on the floor really just sort of taking the Globe and Mail apart and putting them out and going over the pages looking for interesting possible positions to move to uh, I think I had spent 
maybe seven years, eight years at Orchard Park, and I had taken the vice principal's course presented by the Department of Education in Ontario, and so I thought it was time for me to fly somewhere else. And suddenly I saw the possibility that a vice principal position was looking for candidates in Stratford. So I applied, was invited to come up and do an interview. Um, I don't remember all the people around the table. I remember the, the director of education was Ken Self. And I remember your father and Bob Boyce were superintendents of different sorts. And there were others, I suppose, around the table. But I, I left the interview thinking, wow, that was fun. I don't know whether I have a chance at this or not. But then I got a call, and, and I always have said that it was your dad and Bob Boyce who probably put good words in for me. And I got the job as vice principal, and that was the beginning of a new chapter in my life that was an absolutely wonderful, wonderful period, which, which I think back on fondly because I remember that school. I remember the students we had. I remember the school spirit that we had, um, and I remember thinking that I have the toughest job because I was not of a sort of sour disciplinarian nature myself, but that seemed to be the role that I had as vice principal. So I did it and, uh, and loved it, and then when it came time with another door opening, I said goodbye to education and moved over into a new chapter of my life. But Stratford, because of its uh, small-town nature and all of the artistic connections, it kind of presented uh, a tableau of other opportunities for you in life, right? Well, I think Stratford was the only school that I applied to when those applications for the new positions were up. And that was, of course, because of the theater. I, you know, when I had been a little boy... In the 1950s, my mother, sensing that I was interested in the arts, um, put me, well, she came with me on a bus, a Greyhound bus, I think, uh, that Grey Coach bus, I think it was called, and it brought us from Guelph to Stratford. We didn't have a car in those days. You grew up in Guelph. I grew up in Guelph. Yeah. We didn't have a car, but I remember the excitement of coming to Stratford as a lad to see plays. And then I remember the the standing in the dark on what I now know as Queen Street, sort of at the entrance to the, the side of the festival. We would stand waiting for the bus to come and all the actors would have left, all the lights basically were turned out. And there were Agnes Miller and myself um, waiting for the gray coach bus to come and pick us and take us back home. But it was because of the theater and the excitement that I knew as a lad and the productions I had seen on the stage that I wanted to come back to Stratford. I would characterize you as something of an empresario. You may not like that word, but I noticed that first actually in high school because you were the mastermind behind 
the 100th anniversary of what was then Stratford Central Secondary School and before that Stratford Collegiate Institute. And when I look at the course of your career and what you're doing now, which we'll get to a bit later, that event was almost like a large arts production event that you got involved because there were so many pieces of history, so many famous people who'd gone to that school. Tell us about that moment in, in your teaching career uh, that uh, sort of paid off uh, in the future. Well, I don't know how to explain it except for the fact that I, I needed something creative, something positive to get me out of the position of vice principal, which I think most people saw of as a negative position, you know? Um, and along came the idea of organizing. I, you know what? You make me look back on my life, and I guess I've always been organizing. When I was a kid, I organized puppet shows in the area. Um, and then I remember our church having an opening, and I wanted to make it a big celebration in Guelph and contacted all sorts of clergy from other places and asked them to wear their robes. And I mean, it was a big occasion. And I, I hadn't thought about it, Craig, but I've always been organizing. So it just seemed like a natural thing for me when the centennial came along. And it, it was a wonderful opportunity for me to meet people in Stratford, all, all sorts of people who, we organized people in, in decades, if you remember. Um, and it was an enormously successful because at that point, people still had Christmas card lists and we actually built the reunion upon people's Christmas card lists. And I remember saying rather boldly to some of the sort of older folk who were there, and I think they were in the 40s, and, and maybe there were even some in the 30s, because we organized them by decades. And I said, get out your Christmas card lists, and I'll bet <clears throat> hundreds of people who have attended Central uh, you know, have, are, are in there. And they were. And I remember the night that whole thing opened, I, I had such a headache. I was so anxious and nervous, because we had the different decades in different rooms and hotels and places around town. Right. And I actually stayed home for a while and took some aspirins and then finally said, okay, John, you've got to go out and visit the different places. I was astounded because I couldn't get a parking spot <laughs> around some of the spots. The reaction of people who were coming back to take part in it was great. I don't remember all the names, but Stratford Central uh, uh, spawned a lot of, of people who went on to be uh, very successful. One of them was the playwright James Rainey. Yes. And I believe you commissioned a play uh, yes. on that. And then, of course, Lloyd Robertson. Yes. That's where I actually met Lloyd. I met James through that. And then later, I also met a wonderful violinist by the name of Cam Trosdale, who uh, at that point had moved to British Columbia, but was the first chair of... I think the Vancouver Symphony, certainly of the Vancouver CBC Orchestra. Uh, all of those people had roles in my life to come. King Whistle was the name of the play that James Rainey wrote for us. We put it on the uh, the Avon Theatre. It was a great success. I'm not sure. We, I think we recorded it. I'm not sure whether those tapes are around. I, I've been told that 
they've sort of been lost, which is which it was is a film. Crime. It was film? Yeah, I think yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, it was speaking film. of film, uh, uh, you inspired me because of the connection with Lloyd Roberts, and it was my first documentary I ever did. Was when I was seventeen or eighteen. And we did interviews with all the famous graduates, and I went down to Toronto and got Lloyd to do the narration on the film, and it ended up on Rogers Cable, it was called Grand River Cable, yes. on John McCarroll's Stratford. Really? And that was my very first, it was like a, a 35, 45-minute documentary. And I remember you reached out to Lloyd and said, I've got this uh, eager young kid <laughs> who wants to make a documentary. Can you see him in Toronto? And you, uh, I took this giant reel-to-reel tape recorder, audio tape recorder down to Toronto and sat on his desk and, uh, you know, with a microphone from the 1960s or something. And he did the, uh, the narration uh, for it. Because at the time, the video uh, quality was that we only had a black and white camera. And I said, I don't want to do a black and white video. Mm-hmm. So we did a multimedia presentation using slides uh, as opposed to the black and white. I said, I don't want to do a black and white documentary. So we did it in, with slides and narration, which I went around town interviewing all sorts of people. It was quite, uh, and I still have that, by the way. I still have that. I remember an executive at CTV telling me one time that the network, when it wanted public support, or it was holding an event anywhere in Canada where it wanted a public turnout, they took Lloyd Robertson to that event. And I understand entirely why the Canadian public has felt so strongly about Lloyd Robertson, because I've known him far more offstage, shall we say, than on camera. And he is, in fact, the wonderful man that you think you're seeing when he has been reading the news to us. He really is that great guy. And and eventually, when I started Stratford Summer Music, um, I called Lloyd and asked him to be the honorary chair. He said yes, and there were occasions where we used him. And again, the turnouts were always strong because Lloyd Robertson was there. He is a great representative of Stratford, and he's always proclaimed that he was a representative, that he was a good citizen of Stratford. I think the only thing that the people of Stratford are disappointed about is that he hasn't moved back to live with us (laughs) in Stratford, you know? But uh, he comes a lot, even at, at, at the age he's at now. He comes back and forth, and you know that seed that was planted, uh, you know, uh, by you. I ended up working with Lloyd twice during my career, and it was uh, it's hard to figure out. Okay, look at that. It's kind of a strange coincidence that uh, that that happened, but it just it just happened. And uh, I saw him as recently as uh, a few months ago because I had him on the podcast. And, mm-hmm. uh, so we've kept in touch over Good. the years. Good. Uh, so that, that goes back a ways. Good. I want to talk and to you Nancy. about Nancy. We have to talk Nancy. about Nancy yes. as well. She's Stratford. Yeah, She's girl also too. a Stratford yeah. girl. I mean, they were a couple yeah. from in high school. Uh, high school, yes. And uh, married, a wonderful family. Uh, and I think at least one of their daughters has carried on in the media business. Um, but but just a great great couple and and. And even proud of Stratford to you this bet. day. Yeah. You bet. So you made the shift not to arts first. You went into politics, not as an elected representative. But tell us why you made that uh, switch and why did you gravitate towards politics? Well, I did it because Bill Jarvis, who was the member of parliament from our area at that point, 
Uh, now we're talking 1979. <clears throat> yeah, Bill called me and and said, uh, I think I'm going to be taking on some extra responsibilities in the Clark government, which was newly elected, and I need a right-hand person, um, an executive assistant, a chef de cabinet. Chief uh, of staff. Chief of staff. Yeah. Could we talk about this? And I thought, that's very exciting. And I, I, again, I think Bill knew that I was interested in politics. I'd written, or I'd co-authored, I should say, three books on politics and civics, we called it then, and I, I hear the term coming back now, but I'd written three books for Canadian students on civics. So I was very much interested in it. And actually, before I came to Stratford, I'd actually put my name forward in, a, in this constituency around the school where I was working in Stony Creek and area. Um, I, I didn't get the nomination, but I'd put my name forward. So I had dabbled a little bit in active politics. I'd written a lot for it and was influencing, I hoped, students from coast to coast. And then uh, I get the call from Bill, and uh, it, was, it was very exciting. And I remember actually going with Bill to his cottage. The two of us were together talking about what was believed to be his forthcoming uh, responsibilities. And uh, the telephone rang, and it was the prime minister, or the prime minister-elect who called. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, <laughs> one week I'm, I'm a vice principal in the school, and, and then here I am. Helping run the country. Helping, well, I, that's, thank you, but I think that's putting it a little bit strong. Well, strongly. Bill was the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, He right? was, yeah. yes, yes. And that was a fantastic experience for me because I traveled with him from coast to coast to coast and saw the country, you know. And but no one expected the Clark government to be one of the shortest-lived governments in Canadian history. Well, tell history. me about that. So tell me how many months it was and, and what was oh, it like behind Craig. the scenes of that. Craig, let me get It was my... a minority government, right? It was. Yeah. It was a minority government. Yeah. I, think it, I think it lasted nine months. You know, and they, they uh, the party or the government provided money to take me to Ottawa and, and help me find a spot and, and so on and work there. But then when it's over, you, you get a signed autograph picture from the prime minister saying, thank you if you want that, and, and then away you go trying to come home. And again, I have to tell the truth that your dad played a role in this because I came back not knowing what I was going to do. And your dad brought to my attention that there was a principalship coming up at the other high school in Stratford at Northwestern. And of course it was not his position to say, you can have it if you want, but I, he, he spoke very positively, shall we say, about my doing this. And I saw the ad again, I think in the Globe and Mail, and I wrestled with this. Should I go back into school or should I take a chance on life and maybe go out and do something else? I, um, I struggled with it. In those days, the ads used to say, your application must be post-dated by midnight on such and such a date. And I only remember on the last day when the applications were to be postmarked, I think it was a Saturday night, I drove up to the mailbox. It's still that mailbox uh, beside the post office where you can drive up, you know, reach out of your car and put your mail in. 
I dropped my application in, and as soon as I heard it hit the mailbox floor, I knew I didn't want to go back into education. I wanted to go forward. I didn't know where, I didn't know how, but I knew it was better to go forward. But on, I think, Monday or Tuesday, I called and I spoke to your dad, and he said, oh, John, how it's great. We got your application, thank you. And I said, Keith, I want you to throw it out. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. Come on. And I said, no, please, Keith. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't think it's right for me to go back. So I almost got back into education, but decided that I would go in a different direction, and it turned out to be in the arts. And you want to know where in the arts? Well, um, I, uh, I then got a call from a chap called Gary Thomas, who was the general manager of the festival, who said, uh, how about coming over and chatting with me? Maybe we can find something to use your... They built it on my familiarity uh, with the town, my love of Stratford, my perceived um, acceptance by the people of Stratford. And I remember Gary saying, look, we, we really want to, um, to know what's happening because times were tough. This is when gasoline prices were rising. And this was when there was the big debate uh, in Stratford over the value of theater to the Stratford economy. It was very much an oil and water, blue collar versus white collar debate. Do we want factories or we do want theater? It was quite a tumultuous time, I recall. And so my job really was to go on the streets and talk to as many people as I possibly could and end up with a report that would indicate why people were in Stratford and most importantly, what would keep people coming back to Stratford, obviously based on theater and the value of theater in this community. Um, I don't know that I changed any minds or whatever, but uh, the theater kept on, it's still there, and it is, in my mind, the cornerstone of why people around the world know about Stratford. I, I've been in places in, in, in Asia and mentioned that I knew Stratford or was from Stratford, and, and, and it was a, a name familiar to people, very, very well known. So um, I did that report. That lasted a little while. Didn't didn't seem to become a, a permanent position for me. I loved being in the theater. I loved being in the the, the, the green room and around the creative people that were there, just as I do to this day. And then... Uh, that was I, around the time, the first incarnation of Stratford Summer Music, which yes. I believe was 1982. Uh, and El Yakim Tausig was brought in to be the first artistic director. He called me and said, I need someone to be my general manager. Will you be my general manager? And I didn't honestly have anything else to go to. So I, I said, okay. He said, we didn't have any money really at that point to start the festival or not much. So I, I went to the unemployment insurance office and <laughs> I do remember the woman there um, taking my application and, and in an interview with me saying, well, sir, um, I've never had anyone uh, apply for insurance uh, who had worked in the Privy Council office in Ottawa and had been a vice principal. And I said, well, here I am. And, and I think we got some money, and, and I worked for the 
the first year uh, with, with Eliakim, to be honest, we didn't really get along that well. Um, although, it, since I've taken on more of the artistic leadership of festivals since then, I've certainly appreciated the, um, the excitement and the pressures that he felt at that time. I didn't appreciate them, honestly, at that point, but I, but I do now. We have to also explain the connection. He was married to someone from the musical community in Stratford, Cat, uh, Catherine Root. Root, yes. Catherine, right. Yes. Um, and he was living on Elizabeth Street, I think, at that point, too. Anyway, I, that, that got me into the music field. But why was it thought that a music festival, uh, we already had a theater festival, what was his rationale in getting Stratford Summer Music uh, uh, launched the first time around? What was his reason? What was his motivation? I, I, I don't know that he and I ever sat down and talked about that, but I did have the feeling that he... Uh, just being in music and having a sense of organization himself thought that Stratford was ripe for music to be here. I used the argument later myself that that a city which welcomes people who love theater could also be a city that would welcome people who loved music. Well, music was already a part of the theater in the 50s and 60s. The festival did its own kind of onstage performances with Oscar Peterson, Ella Fitzgerald, various people like that. Duke yes, but, but the theater really had then decided that music was simply too expensive exactly, for it, yeah. too expensive. And so that's why, from that point with Iliakum all the way through, my my insistence always was that if if one were going to work on a music program, it had to be an independent program that could be the very best of friends with the theater festival, but could never be, shall we say, in bed with it mm -hmm. or be tied to it. It had to have its own independence so that when rough times came, it could think of its own ways to survive rather than experiencing what had been the case before with enormous uh, musical personalities and, and world-famous programs and so on that were organized here in the early days of the festival organized by Louis Applebaum right. in the early days. Well, I just didn't want to see another loss of all of that energy and all of that, that, that work that had gone into it. And so that's why I certainly felt then and I still feel that a, that a separate music program is the way to go for music in Stratford. Now, it didn't last uh, for that long, but it proved that there was interest in music, right? It lasted a few years, did it? Uh, yeah, I think maybe it lasted four or five years. Yeah. I remember uh, after Eliakim, I think Boris Brott took right. over. I remember talking to Boris. After I left Stratford, um, I got a job as the national director of the Canadian Music Center, which is an interesting story. I got that job. Um, simply because uh, nobody knew who I was amongst Canadian composers. It was explained to me later by the president of the board that in their interviews, um, they found that the interview committee was pulled in two directions, shall we say, by the Anglophone constituency of composers and the Francophone constituency. And every name that was coming forth as a logical um, uh, director, a new director, because the, the former director had gone to join CBC in Ottawa in their administration. 
Every name that came forward was known by one side or the other, the Anglos or the Francos, as, oh, leaning in that direction. So they couldn't find anybody who was satisfactory or acceptable to both of those factions, the musical factions in Canada. And one name, John Miller, came forward, and nobody knew who this guy was. And so he, he was kind of the compromise candidate. And I got that job and became the executive director of the Canadian Music Centre. You had the educational background, the communications background, a little bit of politics and some arts. So I guess they were saw that you had a few of the attributes that they were looking for. And that job then brought you into contact with a lot of philanthropic organizations, government funding bodies, and the creme de la creme of, of Canadian composers and musicians. Yes, uh, really the creme de la creme in the Canadian arts field. Yeah. Uh, it brought me in contact with the wonderful family, the Chalmers family. Um, Who are big funders of Stratford, yes, the Chalmers Lounge, etc. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. and Floyd, one of the first presidents of the Stratford uh, Festival. Yeah, it brought me in touch with that family, and I became part of the administration, ultimately, uh, part of the administration of their funds in a, in a later phase. Um, and, of course, Joan in particular moved in rather interesting circles. Uh, so I made contact, shall we say, with a lot of rather interesting and wonderful people and um, got to take on some magnificent philanthropic um, projects as an administrator on behalf of the family, including the building of a permanent home, a permanent national home for the Canadian Music Centre, which to this day is known as Chalmers House and is, I think, still uh, one of the best, if not the best, home for composers of any country in the world. And I've seen centres for c composers that we call maybe of the classical kind, of the, of the new music kind. We always struggle with the word to describe that kind of music. Anything other than rock or pop. Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And where is that Chalmers house again? That's in Toronto know, on St. Joseph Street, right. right in downtown Toronto. We found a, an old house that had been a center. We later, well, we sort of knew it was a center of prostitution and and drugs and it was basically empty but a beautiful old house in in Toronto and uh, I thought you know if I can find a named architect we've if got I, some uh, construction work going yes. up and down the sidewalk <laughs> in downtown Stratford I thought if I could find a named architect that would draw a kind of credibility to the building of a home for Canadian composers. And I went to uh, Moriyama and Tashima. Moriyama had been more than Ted Tashima, but his partner, Raymond, Ray, Raymond, Ray, yeah. Raymond Moriyama yeah. and Ted Tashima. I, I particularly talked with Ted, who said, yes, we'll take it on. And by having the very name Moriyama and Tashima behind the project, it suddenly brought credibility and interest and it was like a, a spotlight on Canadian composers. That's when I met Joan Chalmers. Uh, I, I was doing some fundraising and, and uh, a chap by the name of Arthur Gelber who was the chair of the Ontario Arts Council said, um, well, uh, how much money do you need? 
it was a pivot, another pivotal point, a pivotal point in my life, because you know, in those questions, if you say, "Well, I need," and you give a figure that's too high, you lose. If you come in at a figure that's too low or or is low, shall we say, you may win, but you don't get the amount of money that ultimately could come forward to you. Anyway, I I hit a figure. Uh, Arthur Gelber said, just sit here, John, and wait. And he left the room, went and did a phone call, which I later learned was to Joan Chalmers, who recently had said to Arthur, I'd like to do something that would honor my parents. So Arthur, if a project comes up, let me know. Arthur came back and said, all right, you've got, I think it was 250000 And he said, go and get the rest of the money. And uh, David Silcox was the associate uh, associate deputy minister, I think, in Ottawa and culture and communication. David did some work for us in Ottawa. We got the money. We had the money to build Chalmers' house. We had the architects, and it was a great event. Uh, to build this permanent home that, as I say to this day, I think is a shining example of what a country believes and feels and supports for its own composers. I want to talk about the Orford uh, Quartet. Uh, back in the 80s and up until the uh, 90s and beyond, they were one of the preeminent ensembles in Canada. Can you tell us about how you started working with them? Well, when I when I finished at the Canadian Music Centre, and it's a very it, the, the leadership at that time, as I've indicated, was a very political decision. It was a time um, <clears throat> in the '80s when when Canada was rent uh, between uh, an Anglo and a and a Quebec francophone. It was during the referendum time. It was yeah, all of yeah. that was going on. So we played Canada around the board of the Canadian Music Centre. So it was a tough job, but I look back fondly on it. But when I left, I, um, I wasn't certain what I was going to do. Um, Floyd Chalmers called me and said, uh, I want to do some work on a new Canadian opera, and I'm willing to put some money into it. Would you be the one to administer this for me? Uh, I said yes. And then not long after that, um, I think it was Dennis Brott of the Orford, or it might have been Andy Dawes, the late Andy Dawes, who called me and said, look, um, we would like to have um, new administration. Would, would you consider management for us? For the Orford. For the Orford. Yeah. Um, and the Orford was traveling the world at that point, and as they described it to me, it was to be a job where I would handle all of their Canadian arrangements, but I would also be like the center of a wheel for all their representatives in other countries and areas around the world. So I would really put together the, the, the full program for the Orford each year. So uh, with the work that Dr. Chalmers was offering me and the work that the Orford was offering me, I thought, well, maybe I should become a business person and set up my own company. And so I set up cultural support services uh, and, uh, and then began um, quite an extraordinary time where I had the most wonderful projects with what you've called the cream of the crop of the Canadian creative um, culture. And then Glenn Gould came along. And that, that's another one that called. Joan had, after Gould died, 
Uh, my predecessor at the Canadian Music Centre, John Peter Lee Roberts, had, had been a friend of Gould and had worked with Gould's lawyer, Stephen Posen, um, to set up a foundation in, in Glenn's name. And they asked Joan if she would be on the, the board. Her father, I think, gave several hundred thousand dollars to establish the, the Glenn Gould Foundation and the prize in his name. Um, and they did, they worked as a foundation for, I'm, I'm thinking, a little less than a year, but without an executive director, sort of relying on the board people to do things. Well, you're better to have an administrative staff side by side with a board of people, especially if they're high profile, busy people. So anyway, uh, they, they were looking for someone, and Joan I, uh, called uh, Steve Posen, Gould's lawyer, and said, listen, I think maybe you should talk to John Miller. So I had a new client eventually in the Glenn Gould Foundation, and that, of course, brought an international aspect to what I and Cultural Support Services were doing. Was that around the time that the CBC new building, they named the studio, uh, the Glenn Gould uh, studio? It was before that. So I was involved in the naming of the studio right. and so on and all of that. And also the 32 short films, um, which I helped put together. Um, I can't remember all the dates exactly. I haven't brought any notes on dates. But... Um, the, the Glenn Gould studio and the, the movie. We did some international Glenn Gould gatherings and brought people from around the world together. Uh, that led to programming on the BBC and various other European networks and connections with the CBC. Um, so it was just one, uh, one point that one can never think about and imagine, but these telephone calls would come and yeah. And with them would come absolutely exciting adventures. And my friend Peter Raymond did The Genius Within, uh, the uh, film about Glenn Gould. Yes, uh, I'm aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I had nothing to do with that, but I certainly am aware of that. You know. Now, yes. what's happened to the rights? I, I understand the rights of Glenn Gould. Uh, his music is now held by an American holding company or an investment firm. What's the story with that? Yeah, this is, this is all past my time yeah. with Gould. But as I understand it, um, Steve Posen, Gould's lawyer, was aging. He's in his 80s now. And I think the concern for Steve was always the future, the protection of the name and rights uh, and performances of Glenn Gould. How would this be handled in the future? And uh, he felt that it was his responsibility, uh, which he discussed with the two main recipients of the Glenn Gould estate, the Salvation Army and the Toronto Humane Society. He felt that something permanent should be brought about. And uh, I don't know the negotiations and what happened, but I do know that an American company, which, as I understood it, uh, was at that point and may still be interested in things like a, a, a Glenn Gould, what's, what, what's the word uh, the person lives, uh, re recreated uh, a hologram? Yeah, hologram. A, yes, yeah. that a Glenn Gould hologram, for instance, could be created. Um, but they, they bought all the rights to the name, yeah. the likeness, and the performances. Um, and and uh, I'm not sure how that goes 
vis-a-vis CBS Records, Columbia, which, uh, and then Sony, who, who bought the recordings. I just don't know all the details. But um, yes, it's true that the Glenn Gould, that the control of all of that has, I want to say regrettably. Yeah, but, it's unfortunate. But has, yeah. 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 But it's it's just a matter of, of an international firm with, frankly, lots of resources and connections and ideas. And that's what it takes, I think, in many ways to do something big in the 21st century. And, and that's where the Gould name has gone. Well, it says a lot about Canadian culture. You and I have both been to Europe uh, quite a few times and witnessed how the arts are supported here. Um, Canada, uh, we have to struggle to keep arts alive, especially now when there's very little broadcaster support or we don't showcase the arts as Germany does, for instance, or the UK. Perhaps it's because of our geography or the fact that we're a small country, but uh, we don't have the resources of the corporate sponsorship of the United States. Tell us, you know, are you confident in the future survival of the Canadian arts, musical arts community? What, what's your perception of where we are today? Well, I, I do think that geography and our youthfulness as a country, I think both of those are key factors that affect how our culture is developing. Geography, because we live close to the United States and we have access so easily to United States programming. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, 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 that's the fact. And then I think, I, I feel the CBC, certainly CBC radio has left me. I don't feel I left CBC radio, but I feel it left me in a ratings drive, you know, the, the, the importance of CBC in the past, CBC radio, uh, through the CBC orchestras and through the music that the CBC played, the emphasis on Canadian creativity. It's, it's quite amazing <clears throat> to look at what went on, and we don't have that today. And, and that's sad to me. Um, and then our, our youthfulness as a country. You know, we, we, we don't have the ability to look back. You mentioned Germany, to look back decades centuries. and years and yeah, centuries yeah. to say, well, do you remember this composer? Do you remember this author? And so on. So we are a youthful country in that sense. Um, and uh, history, civics in the schools, I don't want to sound negative, but it, it's, you know, I, I don't want to sound as though I'm talking about the good old days, but but things are, are different today. And so I guess my answer to your question is, yes, I worry, um, but I, 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 I But perhaps, I John, that's why we've seen such a flourishing of summer music festivals uh, across Canada. So uh, Stratford Summer Music uh, was reborn uh, a number of years ago, and you came back and were involved with that. Was that correct? Yes, it all happened... Uh, because of my deciding with my husband, Andre Tarasiuk, to move back to Stratford. Um, Richard Manette had been asking Andre to come back and work as his assistant uh, artistic director uh, at the festival. And, and so we thought, well, maybe this is the time to have a, a spot outside of Toronto. It was just the beginning of that feeling that Toronto was becoming 
too big a big city. So we bought a house in Stratford, a house which later on uh, turned out to be an important part of my history because um, I think it was Colin Fiore who said to me, I understand you're living in a home. And I said, yes. He said, well, that's where I was living and that's where the company Rhombus Media that produced Glenn Gould 32 short films, they brought a piano into that house so I could learn to be Glenn Gould in the very house where you are. And I thought, Gould, he's never <laughs> leaving me alone. He's following me. But uh, uh, I was downtown. The moving vans had come to the house from Toronto. I was downtown exhausted. I hate moving. And I was going to the Bank of Nova Scotia and whom should I meet on the corner but Dave um, Hunt, the mayor, who said, well, what the hell are you doing in town again? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, your worship, uh, we've come back here because we think it would be wonderful to spend some of our time in Toronto, but also some of our time the weekends, the summer in Stratford. Great, he said, then when can we have music again in Stratford? was the first question posed to me by the first mayor, the first man, shall we say, the first citizen of Stratford, on my first day back, my first outing going out. And I thought, well, here we go again. Boisha is bringing another direction for me. And it planted a seed. It took a few years, and I thought about it and thought about it. And it became much more likely when I particularly framed it with the Gould experiences because I dealt with people in my role as executive director of the, the Glenn Gould Foundation. I dealt with people all around the world. And to an amazing degree, these people followed the life of Glenn Gould and asked the most detailed questions about Glenn Gould and what he had done. And some of them even came to Canada to have their own Glenn Gould tours, their own Glenn Gould visits. And one of the questions that kept popping up was about Glenn Gould as the leader of the music programming at the Young Stratford Festival. So my Gould connections and interest, what the mayor had said, my regret at seeing the initial Stratford summer music collapse, my life experience, my coming back to Stratford, all of that again seemed to come together. And I decided, well, let's give it a try again. Got to organize something here. Can't just sit around and enjoy the sun in the summers. And so uh, we put a board together. Uh, and I thought, well, okay, it's we're getting up to the turn of the century. Let me Let me think that 2001 would be a good year to start the first new season. And then every year following, we could always tell what season it was. The first season in 2001, the second in 2002, 2003 was the third season, and so on. So we're recording this in 2023, which will be the 23rd season of summer music. But there were, again some key developments. And just this past Sunday, I was at a reception in Kitchener-Waterloo, and whom should I run into but Ben Hepner? Ben was there. And we had a chat about the past, and he, he loves Stratford. 
And I think it was in my second or third year that I got up the nerve to call Ben and say, listen, will you come to Stratford? He said, yes, to my amazement, he came. And he sang, I think, at least four sold-out performances in the old City Hall Auditorium. And we were chatting, and I said, Ben, do you remember you came in via the the upstairs door? After the, the audience was in, we closed the doors. Ben came in, and he started his program singing with John Hess on the piano. He came in with the upstairs door. And then he sang all the way through the, uh, the, the balcony and he came down the stairs onto the stage and so on. It was, I remember it, I can picture it to this day. It was absolutely extraordinary. But I said to Ben, do you remember one day I was upstairs at the door and we were waiting for the show to begin. And you said to me, you know, John, I sing at the Met. I sing at La Scala. I want you to know I sing more for you here in these programs <laughs> than I sing in New York or that I sing in Italy or Germany or the other opera houses. And we had a great laugh again about it. That's hilarious. But that's, um, that event, Ben's being here, gave Stratford Summer Music a credibility in the Canadian music community and set us off. Um, and after that, I had no problems asking the greats of the world to come and be here to be a part of Stratford Summer Music. Wow, and here we are in the 23rd season. You're no longer involved with Stratford Summer Music, although you are credited as founder and director emeritus. Emeritus, yes. Right. Doesn't, I'm, I'm no longer involved. That's, mm -hmm. you know, that's basically it. But you did get a star on Stratford's Walk of Fame, did you Right not? outside Mr. Dog. I always joke to people, I, 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 beautiful placing, I'm between Glenn Gould and Richard Manuel. It's sort of a, a, a musical trio in a sense there. But I'm right outside Mr. Dog, so I always tell people you can usually find me because there's either some relish or some mustard on my name. <laughs> and sometimes I have to go and polish my star there just to clean it off from the hot dog residues. Well, you're in good company. Uh, but Stratford Summer Music is behind you, but you're not one to give up and put your feet up. So tell us what you're involved with now. Well, I, I thought for a time I was going to put my feet up, you know, and relax. And then the telephone rang uh, in 2018, not long after I had left, uh, retired from summer music. And it was a woman who had worked in Stratford and left Stratford to live in uh, Huron County and become a member of a board uh, of another festival there called uh, the Bach Music Festival. I'd never been to the Bach Music Festival because it was a summer festival and its programming was running while Stratford Summer Music was on. So I knew of it by name, but I didn't know of it. For reasons that I don't know, uh, that music festival came to an end and the board members were debating amongst themselves whether they should carry on or not carry on and she as a board member said well let me call John and maybe he'll come over and meet with us and we can chat with him and see what he says and I feel wherever there are people who are interested in promoting music and particularly Canadian music and so on. I, if, if I can help out, uh, I still want to. 
So I said yes, and I went over, and one meeting led to a second, led to a third, led to a fourth, until they finally said to me, well, if we were to restart, would you be our artistic leader? And I said, no, I can't do that, because you're a summer festival, and my child that I want to protect and support is now a teenager, and that's in Stratford as a summer festival. So I can't do it. You'd Sorry. Be competing, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they said, okay, we'll be a spring festival. <laughs> Will you stay? <laughs> and so what? I was cornered. What could I say? So I said, yes. I said, but I think we've got to think about being somewhat different, even in the way the public sees us. So I said to them at a board meeting, this is my old teaching coming back, I said, I, I want you all to go home. I want you to think about a new name for what this new festival should be. And so at the next board meeting, they came back like good students, and they had two or three ideas, and we were going around the table, and one woman said, you know, as I was driving home, I looked out the left-hand side of my car, and I saw the waves of Lake Huron. And I looked out the right-hand side of my car, and I saw the wind blowing the crops. There were the waves of the wind in, in the crops. And she said, I got thinking, well, music travels on waves. So she said, I propose the name Huron Waves as the new music festival. There was unanimous applause. Everybody else threw away their papers, <laughs> and we had the name for the new festival. Right. We announced a season for 2019, had a great celebration at the White Squirrel Golf Club in, near St. Joseph. We announced it. And then COVID hit, and we couldn't do a thing. Ontario, the Ontario Arts funding has been terrific. I'm talking about the government now in particular. The relief funding. The relief yeah. funding was terrific. We were able to do some video programming um, that got, uh, at one point, one of the programs got more than 50,000 views because we distributed the program freely at Christmas time through all the cable networks. I think there are four or five cable companies that serve that part of southwestern Ontario. So that was very successful. Then in 2021, we mounted a first season. In 2020, sorry, 2022, the first real season of live programming. 2023 represents the second season of programming as a spring festival. Wow. And that's, here we are. That's incredible. What a journey. Yes. <laughs> What's a journey? And uh, I hope I hope it carries on. I hope Boisha gives me a few more years to to have the fun that I've had. It's it's been it's been a wonderful experience and um, full of such different. Uh, kinds of experiences um and you can't plan it you can't plan any of it it just happens right no i i, I that's why i i tell young people to think carefully but but not to be afraid of the future and 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 not to be afraid to take chances when you don't exactly know where it's going and i find craig that that's particularly true 
for young people who live in, shall we say, not big cities. There's a dynamic about the, the young people that I meet in cities like Toronto that I don't find in cities like Stratford or communities like Exeter or Godrich, you know, in both Huron and Perth counties. So I, I, I find there's, there's sometimes a hesitation um, and, and I'm always saying to them, you know, when they say, oh, I don't, I, geez, I'm, I'm scared of Toronto, or I don't feel I wanna go to, go to Toronto. Dream big. Dream big, absolutely dream big. Because it's unlikely in my experience, I can say, those things don't come to you. You have to sort of go to them. You have to set up the circumstances where these big ideas can come to you or where people who are themselves doing rather well in these areas see your availability and come to you and say, I want you to do this. So that's, that's how I feel, uh, you know. And then I say to the people, come back to Stratford when you're in your 40s, you know. Come back at that point because it's a great city to live in. It's absolutely wonderful. It's, it's God's country, really, in a way, you know. I love it here, and I love the people who are coming here because they realize the potential of, of what this city is. But from my perspective, what makes Stratford the arts? It's the arts that are here. It's, it's your company and what you're doing. You're part of the arts with, with your company, your film company. It's, it's music. It's theater. It's, it's, I, I see new theater companies flourishing and so on, you know? Um, all of these activities, uh, to me, make Stratford unique. It's not like most other cities in Canada that I've been to. In fact, I, I don't know another one. You know, I, I, I used to get a lot of calls from people who would say, uh, would would you consider coming over and meeting us and, because we'd like to start a music festival? People always perceive that starting a music festival is easier than starting a theater festival. You know, you don't need costumes and you need a grand piano if you want pianists, and, but you need a hall and basically you can do it, they think. And I would always say, well, take me out for dinner or lunch to a good restaurant and I'll talk to you. But if I had a dollar for every Canadian call that I've had saying, would you come and talk to us about starting a music festival in our community? I, you know, I'd be able to have a good dinner at, at Pozzo downtown here, you know, that sort of, but you get the point. Yeah. I, I just, there's something about Stratford that we have to value and keep and support and, uh, and, and protect because we are different we are unique, we are wonderful, and we are Stratford. On that note, thank you for your contribution to Stratford, John Miller, and it's been great to have you on the Stratford Slice today. Thanks for your time. The, the, the pleasure here has been mine. Thanks, Craig. The Stratford Slice is produced using Anchor, Spotify's free podcasting platform, the easiest way to create, distribute, and monetize your show. Say it all with Anchor. This podcast is produced by Ballinran Entertainment, Southwestern Ontario's number one film, television, and digital media studio. 
illuminating extraordinary stories since 1995. Visit us at ballinran.com. The Stratford Slice is sponsored in part by Dancing Waters Boutique, treasures from Asia in the heart of downtown Stratford. Visit them at 11 York Street or dancingwatersboutique.com. And a special shout-out to Vista Radio and our friends at mystratfordnow.com for hosting the podcast, which is also available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And be sure to follow us on Instagram, at the Stratford Slice. Our Stratford Slice team includes technical coordinator Matt Kropp, content coordinator Aiden Boyle, social media and communications Kismet Bond, and our graphic designer Deanna Aguilar. My name is Craig Thompson. Thanks for spending this time with me.